Lord, let us turn to the Gospel according to John in chapter 20 and read from verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. As we come to the concluding service of this communion season, <coughs> let us remember that the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a means of grace and not an end in itself. It is designed of the Lord for the refreshment and for the strengthening of his believing people. So often, there is, at the end of the communion season, a sense of anti-climax. We are time to look back and to think how much we enjoyed the teaching of the Word and the fellowship around the Lord's table. And though it is right that we should look back with uh, thanksgiving, yet our minds must not be taken up altogether with a backward look, but rather with a look back in thanksgiving and a look forward to the future uh, in the, that we might go in the strength of the blessing that we have received at the Lord's table and session. We know those uh, Christians who have said, oh, I wish the communion season would continue. But then we have to be careful lest with that kind of thinking we, we, we misuse it. It is a means to an end. It is not an end in itself. It is a special provision which the Lord makes for us that we might feed upon Him in a particular way, that we might feast upon Him by faith, in order that we might be strengthened to be better Christians by having had fellowship at the Lord's table. It is part of the merciful provision that the Lord has made for us that we can from time to time sit together at the Lord's table and partake of these emblems uh, and symbols which speak to us so clearly concerning what has been done for us and for our salvation. And it is good for us and for the glory of God that we should be very mindful of that which has been done. But thanks to everyone whom the Lord has saved and called uh, unto himself, he has called to serve him. And do we must remember that the Apostle Paul himself 
gloried in the fact that he had been called into the service of Jesus Christ. It appears to be that title in which he took a special delight, called a servant, a bond slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. And so what this juncture, I would like us to consider some scriptures to encourage us in the days that we trust will lie ahead of us, in order that we might better see that which we have the privilege and the responsibility of doing in the service of God. <coughs> Luke tells us in his book of the Acts of the Apostles that after his death, the Lord Jesus showed himself to the Apostles by many infallible proofs. And Paul tells us that, were, that there were hundreds, indeed far more than 500 on just one occasion, that there were hundreds who were witnesses to the fact of Jesus Christ alive from the dead. And as we come to the end of the communion season, it is right for us to be thankful for the death that was died in our place. But thanks to death of Jesus Christ is the cages of all its meaning. Unless it was followed by a glorious resurrection. And the apostle tells us that if Christ be not risen, our faith is vain. Our preaching is vain, and we are still in our sins. So in our text here in these three verses in John 20, we are in the time when the disciples were coming new to the experience of the fact that their Lord and Master was indeed risen from the dead. And we can see in these verses some of the uplifting effects that the certain knowledge of his resurrection had upon these men who previously were bewildered and baffled by the course of events that had culminated in the death of their Lord. So I'd like us briefly to think tonight in our Lord's present, Jesus present with his disciples in verse 9, 19, as we read that Jesus came and stood in the midst. And then in verse 20 of the, the peace and the joy of the disciples, and in verse 21 of the commission that Jesus gave unto them. First of all, then, of the Lord's presence. The same day, that is, the day of the resurrection, when the disciples were gathered together, Jesus came and stood in the midst. There we read on various occasions in the Gospel accounts of how the Lord Jesus came to his disciples when they were in particular times of distress and hardship, and of how he comforted them with his presence. You remember the occasion when he was asleep in the ship, and the 
ship was in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And how they arrived him. And how he comforted them. Then he rebuked the wind and there was a right calm. And then you remember on another occasion when he walked on the water towards us. And they were terrified, thinking that they'd seen a spirit. And Jesus said to them, Be not afraid, it is I. But we can say that the full strength of their life as disciples was in the fact that the Lord was with them. He was the very centre of their life. They had given up their various callings in order that they might be with him continuously. You know, as we have thought already, they were in many ways inadequate in their understanding. Yet I'm sure all of them were agreed in this, that Jesus himself was at the very purpose, at the very centre of their life. He was at the very purpose, he was the very purpose of their life. And now, here he is, in a way that none of them expected. He is restored to them, back from the dead. And though it must be very difficult for us to grasp the impact that his, his appearance had upon them. They had heard that he was risen from the dead. They found it very difficult to believe, though they had heard it from the women. And yet, here comes Jesus. He, in a marvelous way, of course, he wasn't restricted as he was hitherto. And while the doors were shut because they were terrified of what might happen to them, Jesus suddenly appears in their midst. And surely we can say that the fears that they had entertained previously, we read here that the doors were shut out of fear of what might happen to them, but when the Lord Jesus was restored to them again, their fear would have been lessened and perhaps altogether, altogether conquered. This puzzle would have given them a sense of purpose which of course had been shattered when he was taken from them in a manner which they did not expect at all. In fact, is it not the supremely, I dare to say, blessing of the lost people to know that in every circumstance he is with us. And how many of the saints of God going through the ages of the church have been able to testify to the fact that they have had some terrible experiences through which they have gone. And their experiences have been sanctified by the consciousness of the Lord's presence with us. Most of you will know something of the, the life of John Payton, the missionary who went to the Pacific Islands. And how that man, after he had not been there long, he had to dig the grave 
of his wife and his baby. And it was his own testimony, he said, I would have gone mad but for the presence that the Lord that faith unto me beside that lonely grave. He knew the presence of the Lord in the depths of his sorrow. The presence that sustained him. Remember her, her roses when he was in the, uh, going to take the children of Israel up from Egypt into the land that had been promised. And at what stage he said, the Lord says, thou goest not with me, take me not. The man who would not dare to go except he could be assured of the Lord's presence with him. The sufferings of the saints of God have been manifold down through the years. But how wonderful it is, friends, that the Lord, by his gracious presence, is able to sanctify suffering to his glory and even to the, to the blessing of the sufferer. Now here were disciples who thought that they had lost their Lord permanently. There's not one of them who had anticipated his return. None of them had fully believed what he had said, that he was to suffer and to die and to rise again the third day. None of them expected it. And now, having heard that he was risen, here he was in his in, in their midst and as we read that he gave to Thomas the evidence that he had professed that he needed before he would be convinced of the master's resurrection his presence had been for a time lost and now we saw if they had valued the presence of the Lord before his suffering and death, how much more would they have valued it now when he was back to death, back with them from the dead. Remember the promise that he had given? As John tells us earlier in his gospel account, the promise was, I will not leave you often. I will come to you. Now we see those words, of course, were written with particular regard to the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus knew that he was going away and that he would be restored to them. And then the, finally the other comforter would come to take his place. But here is part of the promise. He had not left them destitute and often. He had come back to them. And we can imagine in some little way that the disciples now, though they, they had been a fearful band, shut together in the room, afraid of what was going to happen to them, would have been wonderfully strengthened by having their Lord and Master with them again. 
But then we also read of the peace and the joy that his presence afforded us. What a blessing it was to the disciples when Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Can we imagine that Peter and the rest would have had something of a disturbed conscience with the remembrance of how they had all forsaken him and fled in the time of his need, how they all had bowed loyalty to him, and now instead of coming to them with stern rebuke, he comes to them with a message of peace. Peace be unto you. The Lord Jesus knew their hearts. This, of course, was the, was the Hebrew greeting, but in, in this instance, it would have had a deep significance for them when the master came to them, not with rebuke, but with the message of peace. They, they, they had fear of their enemy. They must have had some uh, disturbing anticipation of how the master would deal with them when they heard that he was alive again. And Jesus comes. Peace be unto you, he said. Well, again, here we see something of the fulfillment of the, the promise that he had given himself. He said, My peace I give unto you. This was his divine legacy to them. He had nothing in terms of material benefits that he might leave with them, but his legacy was a legacy of peace. And the peace that was enriched for them in a knowledge of the fact that through their Lord and Master, as they began to understand that it was peace with God which their Savior had purchased as he had died the just for the unjust, as Peter says, in order to bring them and all his people in every age unto himself. How, how the disciples' hearts would have been warmed with a message of peace as the Savior returns to them. But at the end of verse 20, we also read, after seeing the evidence in the master of his of his crucifixion then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord with a much simplicity the uh, apostle John speaks of these things no doubt it would have been exuberant joy such joy as they had never known in their lives before their master back from the dead. And was not this again a promise that he had made unto them? That his joy, the joy that he had in doing the master's will, that his joy might remain in them, and that their joy might be so 
In fact, is it not true that we underestimate the joyful element that is in the gospel? And here we read that the disciples were glad. And could there be any greater reason for their gladness at this stage that when they were utterly convinced that it was indeed their very Lord and Master with all the marks of the crucifixion upon him restored to them. For we might say that the narrative here is just a, a wonderful understatement. They were joyful with joy unspeakable. Because, you see, their joy came from the facts of redemption. And we know that the two on the Emmaus road, they were so sorrowful and they were so depressed because they did not know the facts. They did not know that the Master was risen from the dead. They, so that did they know that he was the very one that was speaking to them. They were downcast because they did not know the facts. And here were the disciples who were exuberantly joyful because they were convinced <coughs> that indeed their Lord and Master who had died was this very same person who was restored to them. <coughs> and then this is surely one of the glories of the gospel that the Christian's joy is based solidly upon fact not upon airy-fairy make-belief. That's what the world's joy, if we dare call, call it the joy that the world has, that's what the world's pleasure is, about, is based on. It has no solid foundation at all. But the Christian joy is based upon the facts of redemption. That God in Christ Jesus has, has satisfied divine justice he has reconciled us to God. He has given us a title to glory. He has destroyed death and overcome Satan and all the power of death. And so the disciples themselves, as they came into the, the fuller understanding of what had happened, they were joyful when they saw, indeed, that the fulfillment of redemption. So the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <coughs> but then as a consequence of this, we see thirdly that Jesus also said unto them, As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And here the Master is giving his disciples, his servants, their commission. <clears throat> his own divine commission on earth has been completed. He has fulfilled everything that was written of him. He had paid the, the penalty of, of sin in his death. He's risen again for our justification. And now he is commissioning his disciples. He says, My Father has sent me, and now I am sending you. And we can imagine that 
the disciples themselves would have preferred had it been possible for them to remain with the Lord. Now you remember Mary, as we read, as we read, <coughs> she desired to stay with him. But he again gave her a commission. He told, he commanded and commissioned her to go and tell his disciples what, what she had seen. Go and tell my, my um, friends and Peter, gets a special mention. Go and tell them. She wanted, like the disciples, she wanted to stay with the Lord. She had lost him. And here he was restored to her, and she wanted to stay with him. And she is commissioned to go and tell what she knows. And we can imagine that if the disciples had had it within their power, they would have preferred to stay with the Lord, the risen Lord, as long as it was possible for them. But Jesus says, no. I am sending you to do your work now. Now, is it not easy, all too easy for us to forget the fact that indeed every one of us who names the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity is a servant of the living God. And our lives are to be given in service to him. There is not one that the Lord saves, but he saves in order that he might serve. And the disciples here receive their commission. As my Father sent me, I am sending you. They have work to do, but with this blessing attached to it, that he would never leave them nor forsake them that his presence was to go with them. Now he had warned them previously that in this world that they would have tribulation. Our Lord never gave them an anticipation that their future life would be a plain and easy one. He, he said that they would put you out of the synagogue that those who would desire to kill you will think they're doing God's service. But he assured them that he would never leave them nor forsake them. That he would be with them. Now if we apply these, what we have read here particularly to ourselves, let's remember first of all that the sacraments of the Lord's Supper is a spiritual feast in which we might be nourished and strengthened in our love to the Saviour, in our faith in Him, and in our zeal for His cause and kingdom. We must not think we have come to the end of the communion season and it was very lovely while it lasted. Then it is given of the Lord in order that sitting at his table we may be the better equipped to serve him. If we who have been privileged to sit at the Lord's table many times or even a few times 
if we are not better Christians because we have been there, then there is something seriously wrong. So we must not look back merely, but we must look back with thanksgiving and seek to go forward, having been strengthened and refreshed by the fellowship that we've enjoyed at the Lord's table. Now let's remember to the peace and the joy which the apostles had because of the presence of the Lord and because of what he said to them. And let's remember that though they had a very particular joy in that they had his physical presence with them, that it is a part of the inheritance of all the people of God, peace and joy. And that these things are to be shown forth not only in our fellowship with one another, not only in our worship, but in our daily life and activity. And friends, we know painfully well that around us is a world that is ignorant of the blessings of salvation. A world that is inclined to believe that it has all the pleasure and that Christians are those who, upon whom the burden of religion lies very heavily. And it is indeed one of the devil's lies to, to persuade men and women that the Christian life is a joyless one. And are we not guilty friends so often? of allowing the world to think that about us because our joy in the things of the Lord so often is very poor if not altogether invisible. Have we not infinitely greater reason to be joyful and to have peace of mind and heart than anyone in the world? who bases his treasure merely on the passing things of the world? Is there anything that we can imagine that should give us greater joy than the knowledge of eternal life in Jesus Christ? But friends, do we, in our daily living, endeavor by the grace of God to manifest unto others the joy and the peace that we have when we hear people bemoaning the national situation, their personal situation, the price of goods in the shops, the weather and all these things, do we, do we just join in with that thinking? Or do we show some Christian witness by a gentle rebuke? I remember a few years ago, uh, an elder in the Hillsdale congregation, he went into the local post office one day and there was the man in the post office was lamenting a good many things and the dear old elder, he's in glory now, he just gently intruded and said, uh, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. I feel that, well, that we ought to be prepared 
to show the world that the knowledge of Jesus Christ and salvation is a matter of joy. And though the world is seeking its treasure, but it's seeking it in the wrong place, and for the unbeliever there is no such thing as solid joy and lasting pleasure. And hence, this is, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ himself has purchased for us, that we have peace with God, in Jesus Christ, God is reconciled unto us, and we are adopted into his family, and we are assured by the apostles that none of the circumstances in the world and none of the powers in the, in the, in the, uh, in, uh, powers of darkness can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. But in whatever situation we are, we are secure as the children of God. Is there anything conceivable that ought to bring us greater joy and peace than that? But is that, friends, is that the witness that we bear before the world? Or are we not so often compromised by the world's thinking and find ourselves agreeing with the world in its unbelief and allowing the world to think that we have nothing which it needs and that our life is very little different from the life of those in the world except that we go to church and they don't. The joy and the peace which Jesus Christ gave unto his disciples in this situation is that which we all ought to be manifesting in our daily living. And friends, you know that for all the endeavors of unbelieving men around us to derive some, some pleasure and some satisfaction from us, you know that there are so many broken homes, there's so much depression, there's so much of of moral chaos around us. But we ought our testimony to the joy and peace which is in Jesus Christ ought to come as a benediction to those amongst whom we move. But in what measure does it? I fear that in so often in many ways the world does not recognize that we have anything more than it has itself. May the commission to the disciples that the Lord Jesus gave here was that he was sending them. Now they, as we read, or as we can read in the early part of the Acts of the Apostles, when the Lord Jesus was just about to take his farewell of his disciples, he, he said that they would be witnesses unto him. In Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that had the blood of the prophets on its hands, the Jerusalem that had crucified the Lord himself, he said, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, where there was such opposition to the Jews from the Samaritans and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And thanks to me who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, we are those who ought to be bearing a witness to Jesus Christ wherever 
in the providence of God he places us in order that we might live lives that shall be to his glory and the means of bringing others unto a knowledge of Christ themselves. I believe that one of our great shortcomings as Christians in the world is this, that we are often so dumb about the things that we hold most dear and the things that we know that the world around needs or the unbelieving will perish forever. Can we, with a good conscience before God, withhold from those who are around us the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Have we so little love for the Saviour? Have we so little compassion for the souls of men that we can treat them with indifference knowing that they are on the broad way that leads to destruction when we have professed as we have professed here these last few days professed a knowledge of eternal life in Jesus Christ professed that he indeed is the way of salvation and to neglect and to reject him is to bring upon oneself eternal condemnation can we be silent The Lord Jesus himself spoke the truth in spite of all the opposition that that brought upon him. And what kind of persecution will we receive if we speak the truth? Just perhaps an indignant silence from our neighbours or perhaps there are those who won't speak to us again. Is that, all the, is that all the sacrifice we'll have to make if we testify to Jesus Christ? If we seek to bring joy and peace into the hearts of those around us. Is that all we have to suffer? Dare we think of what many in the totalitarian states are now enduring for the cause of Christ? And are we prepared to do so little? Well, friends, we have sat around the Lord's table in order to feed on the Lord Jesus Christ to testify that he is our eternal life. May the Lord give us grace to serve him with all our faculties, with all our opportunities, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may be the means of bringing glory to his name and other souls into the knowledge of salvation. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we have to confess that we have been immeasurably blessed by thyself in things spiritual and in things temporal. But if thou wert to measure our thanksgiving by that which is seen in our daily living and our daily witness, we would have, thou wouldst have to conclude that our thanksgiving unto thee is just a matter of words and no more. O oh Lord, we confess how poverty-stricken is our service, how poor is our love, how weak is our zeal for thy cause and kingdom, 
O Lord, we have much to be forgiven. But we pray that through the ministry of word and sacrament in these past few days, that these may remain as a blessing to us, strengthening us for doing battle with the powers of darkness, strengthening us that we might have a more Christ-like compassion for the souls of men, that we might have a greater love for the Saviour, that we might have a greater love for one another. So keep us in the truth, O Lord. May thy presence be with us. May it be manifest in all, in every aspect of our activity, in order that we might live to the praise and the glory of thy name. And all we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>